Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I am so happy that you're here with us today. We're going to talk about a wonderful children's book and the importance of helping children with grief. And my guest is friend Francesca Arnoldly, and she's going to tell us a little bit about her. Hi, thanks for having me, Emily. Oh, welcome. So I'm, I'm Francesca, and I like to call myself a community doula and also a death lit advocate and a death lit author. So I became a doula first in the birth field. So supporting people during their journeys of into parenthood as a postpartum doula. So after they welcomed their child and then as a childbirth educator, as well as a birth doula, once my babies got a little bit older. And then following a series of losses that we faced as a family, I began to open my mind and heart to supporting people at the other end of life. And so I became a hospice volunteer and I created a death doula training program that has gone on to be very successful. And I wrote a doula guidebook and then this picture book. And so death literacy is very important to me as well as death literature and making sure that people feel like they have the tools and the language necessary to be able to support themselves and one another through these times of difficulty and loss. Oh, that's beautiful. I found it interesting because I was a childbirth educator also. That's that's where I got started and went from one end of life to the other also with what I do. And there's uh, there's a lot of similarities, actually, between that, the, the both experiences. And everybody's going to experience both of those things. So both, both for themselves uh, and and for lots of people that they love during their life experience. So, I I love the the term that you have. Did you say death lit, death light? What is what was it? You yeah, said? death lit. So okay, I lit. combine death literature and death literacy together. Oh. So I call myself a death lit author. And I also think grief literacy is really important, which is you know what the work that you're helping to do in the world promoting these conversations and deepening our understanding of what it is to mourn as individuals and collectively and how to best support people through that. Yes. And I'm sure the same thing happens to you as happens to me is that when people find out what I do, they end up telling me their story. And I I went to lunch with a, a friend yesterday who brought a friend of hers along and she brought her along because she had dealt with several deaths recently and the one that, that she wanted to talk about that, that really bothered her was one where a child, a young child, had witnessed when the, I don't know whether it was her mother or her grandmother, got the phone call that somebody that she was very close to had died. And the person getting the phone call put it on, assumed because of who was calling that it was going to be a nice family friendly chat. So she put it on speaker 
so the the child could hear too and so the child heard the information of the person dying and the reaction that the person the the adult in the room there had and the, the child was just kind of beside themselves because they they didn't know what was happening they didn't understand what was going on and nobody was in the shape at that moment to deal with the child because they were barely hanging on themselves and i thought that's something that we don't think of a lot how children get kind of left out when it comes to talking to them about uh, death and dying and what happens and that whole experience through there and I know when I was growing up when somebody died I they just kind of talked in the other room, you know, about it. They didn't talk in, in front of me. I never did understand what was going on until my grandmother died when I was in junior high school. And I'd been through a few deaths by that point without going to funerals, without really talking to anybody and not knowing. And I just see how valuable uh, what you, you, your book in particular that you did. And I love the fact that you recorded it so people can listen to it on YouTube with you reading it. I just think that's fabulous because that's such a, a a generous way for you to impart this gift to the, the children that will listen to it. Yeah, I'm hoping that it will be as accessible as possible. And part of the way that I published this book was through a crowdfunding campaign. So hmm. I used Kickstarter. And because I was really committed to paying my illustrator a fair wage for her work, which is really beautiful and which, you know, I don't have a gift for that kind of art. And as I was researching, you know, how to put together a children's book, I kind of, I kept hearing some advice to kind of go cheap and have people bid for things. And I was like, no, the artwork is so integral in a picture book that I want to really honor that. So I brought it to the community told them the idea, the intention of it, and the whole plan for the plot line, the inspiration behind it as well. And my community really gathered together and they were able to put together the funds to support the payment for the illustrator. And so that enables me to not only put it out there more broadly and more widely to people, it enables me to also donate copies to lots of hospice organizations and other organizations that support children through grief, which is is really a major mission with that. And, you know, the story you were telling about that child, I mean, my heart just breaks to think of that situation. And those situations do happen. You know, sometimes we're caught completely off guard. Sometimes it's totally unexpected and it's not ideal. And what do we do? You know, we hope that We've had the conversations ahead of time so that it's not completely shocking to think that a person's life could end and has actually ended. That is what I created this book for, so that it could become a communication tool prior to loss and to help kids be more prepared for the inevitability of loss that will happen whether it's the loss of a significant person in their life or a beloved pet or a different kind of loss, even like um, changing schools or homes or parents divorcing, things like that, that loss is a part of life and that we can create a language for it 
and that we can create coping techniques for those moments when we are completely overwhelmed by loss. That's that's just so important that children are in a lot of ways wiser than we give them credit for. And they want to know. And if something's going on, if they see that somebody's very ill, they want to know what's happening. And I think it's important that we talk to them because it's it's a part of life and they, they need to know. I couldn't agree more. And in my role as a as an educator and as a trainer for doulas, I can't tell you how many times I have heard these stories from adults reflecting back on their childhood, sort of like what you were saying, that they weren't included in these conversations, that perhaps a pet died or a relative died or a neighbor, and they had questions, they were confused by it, but they also felt alone in it. And, you know, I think that their adults in their life were trying to spare them suffering. I think that it's generally coming from a well-intentioned place, but the results actually aren't what we're hoping for. Kids will end up using their imaginations, wondering if it's their fault or if they're to blame, developing fears that don't really need to be a part of their childhood because they don't know what to think because people aren't having more honest conversations with them. And then, you know, when they're grieving, they're really not as included in the process of ritual or ceremonies or saying goodbye and and honoring that bond that they've shared. Yeah, I absolutely. I just I can think of so many instances with me where I uh, memories from my childhood of feeling totally left out, like what's going on, <laughs> you know, what's happening, why aren't they telling me what's happening, and it that led to fear because if I think if they would have gently and lovingly explained to me what was going on, I probably would have said, oh okay, and I'm sad too, but not be afraid because the keeping things from the the children it creates more room for fear than anything else and it's not protection i agree and i think that we don't have to have all of the answers in order to have the conversations and so sometimes parents feel like well how am i going to talk about this when i don't even know everything about death and that's okay in saying that we don't know and wondering alongside children is also okay saying, you know, I'm not sure what happens when somebody dies or after somebody dies. What do you think? Or what do you hope? And you can engage in magical thinking. There's nothing wrong with that. You can also talk about spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs and, and have an exploration around that and, and imagine things together in a way that feels safe and not scary. That's right. I like you, that you said safe, because I think that, that that safety is what the children are craving when they're in a situation like that. And I love that, that you wrote a book. I am I have a, a nonprofit organization called the Grief and Happiness Alliance, and we do things to help people see that they can grieve and be happy at the same time. And we have meetings every week that people can come to and they write and we learn happiness practices. But we're branching out from that and wanting to do more things for more different kinds of grief and different kinds of levels and working with other groups of people that 
deal do things dealing with grief. And one of the things that they came up with that they really wanted to do was to create something online because we were created during the pandemic. So everything we've done so far has been online, but they wanted to create something online where grief books could be read out loud to children, like on YouTube, so that they could watch that and experience it. And then if they had questions, they could ask whoever was showing them the the video on YouTube or helping them with that. It, it's kind of a conversation starter. And we we've been enthusiastic about this, but we hadn't really taken any steps, but we had just been talking about this. And I opened up your uh, message on LinkedIn, where you were talking about this book that you were reading on YouTube. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) This is meant to be, we're supposed to be talking to each other because I think that that's such a, such a, a wonderful way we've become so, especially with a pandemic. So, um, we use the screens so much more. And this is such a positive, productive way that we can do that for children. And having a, you read your own book in particular, I, I really loved because your your heart comes through in it. And it's it's gentle and beautiful for the child. And uh, we, we will put the link to that recording in the show notes so that, that everyone listening can listen to that, too, or watch it. It's because uh, she gets to show those beautiful illustrations that, that she has for the book. That's one of the things with books for children with the dealing with grief. The illustrations uh, are almost as valuable as the words because they they tell things to children in a way that they might not be processing the words quite yet, but they can get them from seeing the illustrations. Definitely. Yeah. And I was really mindful with any messaging. And so most, I think maybe all, almost all of the illustrations are based outdoors in nature, because I feel like nature is our greatest teacher in terms of the life cycle and seasonality and endings and beginnings. And also I was really mindful to leave out any symbols of specific spiritualities or religions so that it felt really open and inviting to as many people as possible. And like you said, it's a conversation starter. Mm -hmm. So in this book, even though I'm a death literacy advocate, I actually don't use the word death or died in this book because I wanted to make sure that that wasn't a barrier for some people who were just, you know, resistant to the idea of having this conversation with children, but were curious and interested enough. So the whole premise of the book is inspired by a conversation I had when I was a kid with my grandmother. And we were standing at her kitchen sink and we were drying dishes and the sun was kind of hitting her face just right. And I had looked up to her and I said, Grammy, out of the blue, are you going to die? Because I saw some wrinkles on her face. And I mean, it was this like pure childhood moment where I had no filter, came out of left field, and she just sort of like threw her head back and laughed, which is her. And she said, well, you know, I caught her off guard. Well, yes, I will someday die. But but that's okay. And I have I've lived a good life. And I have really enjoyed my time. And And that was it. She kept it pretty simple. She didn't overwhelm me with information. And she kind of looked back to me to see if I had any follow-ups. And I didn't. It was kind of enough for that moment. But she didn't brush me aside. She didn't 
belittle my question, she answered it. And in the book, instead of using, you know, my unfiltered language, the character Lee says, Nana, will you live forever? And so it's a different, it's a more gentle way of entering into these intense conversations. And I also really aimed to make, so the idea of memory lane as being a coping technique, as being something that a child or an adult can lean on when they want to feel like they've got a continued connection with their person, with their pet, that they can go to memory lane and they can think about those special times that they shared. And so when Lee and Nana are talking about their own memory lane, the moments that they highlight are also very simple. And they're rooted in this dynamic of of connection and just spending quality time together. It's not a big, expensive worldwide tour or something like that. It's like making dessert for dinner or splashing in the puddles or coloring together and making up silly stories. And in that way, I hope that it can speak to as many children as possible, no matter their circumstances in life and and also intentionally, Lee does not have any pronouns associated. So kids might wonder, you know, is Lee a boy? Is Lee a girl? Is Lee, you know, non-binary? There's, and also in terms of um, race and ethnicity, it's it's yet to be determined, to be determined by the individual reader, which is, is purely intentional. That's so wonderful because the, they can easily put themselves in that position. And without, uh, yeah, I, I I was thinking about that when I was listening to you read it, that, that just about any child could relate to it in, in a beautiful way. And then I developed a companion activity book that people can print off and use. So it has some tips for supporting children through difficult conversations and then tips for completing the activity book. And the activity book has some art by the same illustrator, Youngju Kim, who's really talented. And it leaves a lot of open spaces for kids and their adults, whether it's a, I mean, I've had therapists use this, um, school nurses, and then adult relatives as well, teachers, and they can work with the, the child to go to memory lane. And, and this could be for a kid and an adult adult who's very much alive and even healthy and well, who want to start this as a keepsake for themselves and they can add pages and print off more and more. Or it could be a kid and a supportive person who want to reflect back on a relationship, you know, after a loss. So there's space for writing and coloring and drawing and people can paste in mementos and photos or postcards, anything that kind of captures those special moments. And then the child will be able to to go to memory lane and have it actually physical and um, be able to reminisce and, and think about their person there. I, I think that's so beautiful to have the opportunity for a child to create something like that so that they, they can have that to reflect to us. I know I, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother when I was young because my parents did a, a lot of traveling with what they were doing at that time. And so I, I felt like I almost lived with her. And 
we had a few pictures of her, but I don't didn't have anything tangible after she was gone. And I thought it would have been nice. And the pictures, of course, belonged to my parents back in those days. <laughs> they didn't have, they weren't so easily uh, copyable as they are now. And I, I just felt like everything was gone when she was gone. And having this activity book that goes along it, they're able to use what they've just heard about and uh, learn from it without, it's not like, being taught a lesson in school, you're learning from the process. And it's 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 quite wonderful. I just I so admire what you've done here. Well, thank you. I think one of the most touching stories that has found its way to me is, is someone who had been in contact with me while her husband was dying. He was in he had end-stage cancer, and they had two young children. And so she was seeking some resources for how to help them navigate that process. And, and so I was kind of a listening ear. And, and also, I would never want anybody to think that there is some magical, magical cure for a broken heart or some easy way to fix grief, because that's not the case at all. But that it is really important that we have coping techniques to lean on that are healthy and that feel personal to us. And so while her husband still had the energy as a family, they had printed off the activity book and they had worked on their map of memory lane. And so they drew pictures, they wrote down memories, they added their mementos and they continued on even when he wasn't as active in the process. And then she let me know that the night that her husband, their father was dying, they knew that time was very short she gave her kids the opportunity to go say goodbye to their dad. And I mean, I was just in awe of her, her courage and her open heartedness throughout this whole experience. And her daughter, who's their youngest, she went and said goodbye to her dad. And then she stopped at her mom and, and she said, she said, mom, I'm going to be okay. And she said, you are. And she said, Yes, I'm going to go to memory lane. And that was her takeaway. That was what was hers, you know, in this time that she had no control over. This life was ending. They would have done anything to change the circumstances. But she had this ability to sort of accept that that's not something she could control. But what she could do was go to memory lane and think about all the treasured times that she did have with her father and lean on that to try to get through what was to come. And it was just so touching and moving to hear that, you know, she even had that kind of language available to her at that time. That's so beautiful. Wow. I, I just am so grateful that you've done what you've done with your work and I can see it going uh, far out into the world. We have, uh, I live in Maui on, in Hawaii, and we have on our island, there aren't that many permanent residents here. Lots of tourists, but not a lot of permanent residents. And I know one woman who was a psychologist, and she had a daughter who was uh, pregnant, and her daughter had found something that she thought was in her body that she thought wasn't right and talked to her obstetrician about it. And he said, Oh, it's, you, you, you know, you're just pregnant. 
instead of checking it out. And by the time after the baby was born and she was starting to have real uh, discomfort with what was still there that didn't go away when the baby was born, it was too late. And she went through chemotherapy and a lot of things, but she died when her, her baby was young. And the whole time the baby, she was with the baby, she was ill and having to deal with that. And her mother as as a psychologist she was retired but she said she just felt like she had to do something for her grandson and so she created something that they call uh nakiki o amali emilia emilia was her name and uh kiki is the word for children in hawaiian and they've created this beautiful nonprofit organization here that does work with with children of all ages and they they work with art projects and other things like that and groups that are in different appropriate age groups with volunteers that are are working with them to help support them through grief and i i just think that that's so beautiful and i i would love for us to see a lot more of that in the world oh me too i feel like sometimes as adults we're able to show up for one another when we're around the same age or just throughout adulthood, but sometimes it, it it's nerve wracking to approach a child and to not make it worse. And, and we have so many worries and concerns. So often we just don't, and they can feel so alone in their loss. So it's very needed. And for yeah. them to be able to tell their story and, you know, some kids can't even access memories of their person because they were so young. So, creating some sort of project that captures the life of their person so that they can get to know them as they grow older. And those are are really profound in a healing journey as well. That's right. It's beautiful. The, the other thing that I've been thinking about lately, and I'm not sure what the answer to this problem is, or, or if you have any thoughts on it, is so many kids, children are being affected by the, um, deaths, the public deaths of children like in Uvalde and that sort of thing. And it's bringing a lot of fear into their lives. And they they have no idea whether they would ever be in a situation like that. But what they, the stuff they put on the news and the parents have the TV on <laughs> so that the, the kids are, are hearing these things. I'm not quite sure how to, how to handle that with the children in, in a anticipatory way you know to have have them give them some tools to to deal with that fear right i know it's such an unfair horrible situation that to even have to think about it just feels like a tragedy you know i have two kids and they're teenagers and they're in school and We've always tried to make sure that they're not inundated with news, that it's balanced, that they have an awareness of the world and life, but that it's not overly negative because that's often what you get from the news. And those are the stories that get spread around. And so hearing from them as they've gotten older and they're kind of out of the bubble now and they have access to information on their own. And hearing them talk about, you know, this is what I would do. And they have worked this through in their minds. You know, what would happen if this were at my school, if this were in my classroom, what would I do? And and they're running through 
sort of like drills in their own mind. And how heavy is that for our young people to have to deal with? And then to deal with the sort of collective grief that all youth are feeling around this, around those losses of their peers, and then even more closely, the, the survivors that have been involved in those horrific events. I mean, it's just, it's almost too much. It's, it is too much. I mean, it's really unfortunate that we have to deal with it at all, but there's so much support that needs to happen and um, on so many different levels. Yeah, it really is. And you know, this has been going on for a long time. I think people don't realize that so much. Uh, my children are very much adults now. And when they were in early in elementary school, across, we, we lived in a place where there was a busy street at the end of the road that we lived on. And there was an elementary school on the other side of that busy street that was closer to our house than the school that my kids actually went to, but they didn't want to have kids have to get across that busy street to be able to go to school. And at that school across the road, the first real publicly covered in the news all over the country shooting happened in an elementary school in that, that school. And our kids, my kids were on lockdown in their school because they had no idea what was going on. And the, the schools were so close to, to each other that, that they had that and they didn't know why. And having to deal with that when they got home was, was really something. Yeah. And it was, it was just some, somebody gave their high school age daughter a gun for Christmas and she stayed home from school one Monday and they lived directly across the street from the school and out the window of her house. She was shooting mm. lots of people staff and, and children. And yeah, it's just harrowing. It just, it, and that, that, I know how it affected my kids for the rest of their lives, that that, that could happen. Mm -hmm. And you just, uh, you think, oh, well, that, that's not going to happen to me, or that's not going to happen to my kids. But the, the more prepared you can have them in it, yeah, I don't think you can really prepare children for something like that happen happening but and if you, you hope you don't have to yeah you hope you don't have to but if you've got some tools in your tool belt so to speak of if anything happens or if they see something on tv or if they ask you questions about it how you can talk to them about it i think it's an important conversation that we need to have yeah opening up space for those fears and anxieties and worries is so important and just doing a better job with mental health support across the board, hopefully to prevent some of this as well. That's right. Well, I look forward to, as we get this project with the Grief and Happiness and Nonprofit Alliance uh, going along to have authors read their children's books on online for uh, a lot of children to be able to have access to. I, you're going to be the first on our list, and I'm very excited about that. Well, I'm honored and thank you for all the work that you're doing. Oh, I, I'm grateful to be able to do this work. I, I just, I think it's needed. Absolutely. So, well, thank you for being my guest today. And I will put all of the information about Francesca on 
the show notes so that you'll be able to listen to the book yourself and share it with your children or grandchildren or neighbors or whoever you want to share it with because it's it's quite lovely and and you will enjoy it when when you uh, and see the the value and beauty of it so i'm sure you're all looking forward to getting to go to youtube and see that soon so thank you for listening today and we'll see you again on our next podcast Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.